This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Give us a call, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez. Now, uh, you can also chime in uh, at Rich Valdez on any of the social media throughout the night. I'll be checking those during the breaks if you have a comment or a question. And I want to talk about several things. Obviously, today it's Thursday evening. We're live. We're national. And it is April 20th, also known as 420. This is the big marijuana day. And I remember in high school, this was such a big holiday and everybody wanted to take off and go to Washington Square Park in New York City for uh, what they called the Great American Smokeout, where a bunch of people were, were smoking pot on the, on the grass. And it was more than anything, it was a great place to meet girls and, and just hang out with your friends and stuff. And a trip to the village was always really cool back then. Uh, but it's evolved since then, right? This isn't about, uh, you know, celebrating weed on one day out of the year. This is about weed being everywhere all the time now, right? And we've got some really interesting headlines here that I think you're going to appreciate. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to get to this one. This is an interesting headline here. Uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, there's a bill that would allow school nurses to give students medical marijuana. Yep, you heard that right. This is according to ABC News uh, in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania State Rep Malcolm Kenyatta says he plans to introduce a bill that would allow the school nurse to administer medical marijuana to a child. According to the Pennsylvania Department of Health, both the Department of Education and the Department of Health support the administration of medical marijuana under a patient authorization letter to students with serial, serial, <laughs> serial killer with serious medical conditions and the maintenance of a safe environment for other students while on school property. So here's the recommended guidance. A parent, legal guardian, or caregiver may administer medical marijuana to their child, student, uh, etc. on school premises, provided that the parent, legal guardian, or caregiver, number one, provides the school principal with a copy of the patient authorization letter, and number two, notifies the school principal in advance of each instance in which the parent or caregiver will administer mer medical marijuana to the student or child. Isn't that funny? So if you're going to you know, get your kid high three times a day to calm their anxiety, to fix this, to fix that, whatever the case is, uh, you've got to let the principal know. Now, what if, you know... Uh, 
this starts with 10 parents, then it grows into, you know, I don't know, uh, 100 parents. Uh, how many parents can notify the principal about all these multiple instances, uh, presuming they're multiple, uh, of medicating their child? Right? Does that happen with any other medication that they have to know? I, I don't know how that would work, but it sounds interesting. Uh, and by interesting, I mean fishy. The school principal shall provide notification to the school nurse. In each instance, a parent or caregiver will be administering medical marijuana to the child or student as well. The parent or caregiver shall follow all school protocols applicable to visitors and the school during that school day. A parent, legal guardian, or caregiver shall bring to the school and administer the medical marijuana to their child or student without creating a distraction and shall promptly remove any excess medical marijuana and all related materials from the school premises after the administration of medical marijuana is complete. The school shall provide a secure and private location for the parent or legal guardian to uh, administer the medical marijuana to the student and students themselves shall not be permitted to possess any form of medical marijuana at any time on school property or doing any school activities on school property. Um, and this is what they're uh, discussing in Pennsylvania. So imagine that. Imagine, uh, you know, saying, oh, my gosh, I'm so stressed out. I have a big final exam or a midterm coming up. Mom, can you help me? What do you need, baby? I, I need to get high. Okay, I'll be right there with your bong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think that is absolutely insane. Uh, I have, some people are probably doing backflips saying it's about time. You know, I'm so glad my mom can come to school and get high with me. But I, I just can't imagine how this works um, in a school without the other kids going, hey, I, I'm anxious, too. Hey, I'm nervous about the test, too. Hey, puff, puff, pass. I just I don't know. Uh, call me an old traditionalist, if you will. But I, I think this is pretty insane. Personally, I mean, uh, if you have a headache, right, I have two daughters who uh, once a month they menstruate and if they have pain, they can't even go and get an aspirin or an Advil, you know, ibuprofen at the school nurse. But with this new law, they'll be able to get high. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, you can't make this stuff up. Anyway, Pennsylvania's medical marijuana program was signed into law in April 2016 to provide access to patients with a serious medical condition through safe and effective means of delivery that balances patients' uh, needs with the access to the latest treatments with patient care and safety. So that's overall with adults, um, you know, that this doesn't take into account how this applies to kids. And it's funny that the bill they're proposing says they want the school nurse to propose, uh, to administer it. But the recommended guidance says they want the parent to come in, uh, which makes more sense. At least, uh, just imagine the school nurse now saying, all right, little Johnny, little Susie, please report to the nurse's office. And, um, we're going to be using one of those vaping machines today because it's time for you guys to get stoned. Why? Well, it's just that time. We do that every day at 1130. I, I just look, I, I'm not poo-pooing the idea of marijuana. Um, it's not for me. I'm not a marijuana guy. But I, I am saying I think that this is probably not going to help everybody in school, right? I don't think that people are going to go, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I needed in order to pass the test. Now, of course, that is the cue for every pothead in America to call and say, Rich, I like your show. I like you, but, oh, you're dead wrong here. You're a real a-hole, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I don't know. Uh, I, this is just what I think. I remember when kids were smoking weed in the second floor back bathroom when I was in high school, they got in trouble. Now we're talking about having your parents come in to, 
to give it to you. I just think this is crazy. And uh, I mean, what else can I say? Anyway, that's that story. And we're going to get to more of that. By the way, Pennsylvania Setterman, uh, Setterman, Senator John Fetterman, I sound like Biden all of a sudden. Uh, he's uh, very supportive of this stuff. And we'll continue our discussions on 420 throughout the evening. Uh, but Joe Biden today was at a, a meeting he was having in Maryland, in Akokeek, Maryland, and he attempted to spell the word eight. Listen to this. But you have, we have a thousand billionaires in America. You know the average tax rate they pay? Eight, E-I-G-H percent. Eight percent. E-I-G-H percent. I think Joe Biden's had a little bit of that 420 for himself. And that's why he's having that E-I-G-H. Yeah, eight. E-I-G-H. I got hairy legs. You're not black. And all those other crazy things that he says. I think that might be it. He might be administering the medical marijuana to himself. Anyway, I also wanted to bring your attention to the... um, mayor of Chicago, the mayor-elect, but we'll do that a little bit later. But basically, just to give you a little uh, heads up on that, he defends the looters that we talked about with uh, Chief Craig the other day. Uh, He defends them saying, look, demonizing children is wrong. How about demonizing crime? How about demonizing rioters? That's what they should be doing. And that, to me, begs the question, what are we doing with children nowadays? Of course, every kid is different, but are we raising kids to be helpless or reckless in that matter. Um, there's a gentle parenting backlash, and we're going to talk with Allison Bogle. She's an expert on parenting, and she's uh, with Austin Family Magazine, and we're going to connect with her straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So uh, we're looking at a a piece recently written, uh, The Gentle Parenting Backlash, Am I Raising My Kids to Be Helpless? And it raises the question, uh, amongst many others, um, what is going on today, right? Are are we raising our kids to be helpless? Are we raising them to be uh, more resilient, to be more prepared? Or as uh, the previous topic, are we raising them to be dependent on on medical marijuana in a school setting to be able to function? And uh, these are all questions that I legitimately, I mean, I make jest, but uh, I legitimately want the answers too. Uh, because I think they're conversations that need to be had. Allison Bogle is a parenting expert with Austin Family Magazine, and she's here with us this evening. Allison Bogle, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. I'm excited to talk with you tonight. Likewise. So t- tell me initially what your thoughts are uh, with respect to, um, I guess, protecting our children so much that we may, in fact, be raising our kids to be helpless. Yeah, I, I think I think that's it exactly, um, that idea of protecting our kids so much. So I think there's, you know, there's a fine balance. There's um, an appropriate level of teaching our kids about emotions and, um, you know, teaching them about 
different things, but then you can, as a parent, cross a line to where now you're protecting them from some of the fallout that they would normally experience. And then that's where we get into that trouble of raising kids who are unprepared to handle the real world, because the real world is not always gentle and easy on our kids. Yeah. You know, I'm going to pose a question to you. This is real life. So my initial thoughts in life were, I've got to be tough on my kids because the real world is going to be tough on my kids and better me be tough on them than the real world. Uh, As my kids grew, I realized the world's going to be tough on my kids. I might as well be nice (laughs) and, and, you know, tell them it's going to be tough, but let me be as helpful as I can be. And I was having this conversation and my kids are older than, uh, than my brother's kids, although he's older than me. And I was saying, you know, life is tough enough on these kids where when I can help, I will and give that advice from a more gentle perspective, which is a very nuanced perspective for me than it was some years ago because my parents were tough. And and he said, oh, I disagree completely. You got to be tough. You, you, you've got to be able to, to toughen them up because otherwise, you know, this world's going to eat them alive. And I didn't disagree with him because, again, that was my own sentiment as well six, seven years ago. Uh, but I've learned that that doesn't go anywhere and I don't have to add to the toughness of life. I could help guide them through life. What's your take on that for anybody who's still child rearing? Uh, like in my case, one's going to be 18, one's going to be 22. Um, what, what do you say to a parent who's facing a conundrum like that? Yeah, I, I, I have to side with you over your brother. I'm sorry to your brother, but um, I do think that the world is tough enough, and I think that we can teach those hard lessons to our kids, but we don't have to do it in a harsh way. Because like, like, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, the world doesn't always soften the blow, and so it's not that we're trying to um, completely you know, soften everything, but I think, like you said, it's a little more nuanced. So you know, maybe it is you, you, you teach the lesson and you talk about the feelings, right? Like, okay, instead of just, you know, your kid's angry or disappointed in something. Well, toughen up. We don't always get what we want. When you're older, you're not going to get what you want. That's just the way it is. And then our kids are left still holding those feelings. They don't know what to do with them. So ultimately, they learn to just shove them down. And that doesn't help anybody ever, kids or adults. So, it, you know, the more nuanced approach is, man, when something like this happens, it's, it's really disappointing and it's really frustrating and that's totally understandable. But we also do have to move on because we do have to do X, Y, Z or whatever it is. So it's okay to feel frustrated and it's okay to feel disappointed, but here's what you do with that and here's how you move forward. So we're acknowledging those feelings. We're not telling our kids, suck it up. And then we're coaching them on the healthy ways to handle those feelings and to keep moving forward. I think the tricky part is when, you know, maybe either we go the super tough route or we go the route of, oh, no, you know, you're having a sad feeling. Well, let me protect that, protect you from that. And then our kids never learn what to do with the feelings that are uncomfortable and how to move through them. So let's talk about that. Let's uh, tell, uh, you know, I guess parents, grandparents, uh, young aspiring parents who are working the late shift listening to this program. um, How do they strike that balance? What are, uh, you know, what are some of your recommendations on helping to prepare them for what's tough uh, without adding to what's tough? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, our kids come across these situations all the time naturally. And so it's just, capitalizing on those situations when they happen. So for example, 
my son plays flag football and he had a coach one season that was pretty rough compared to all the other seasons. And so I've got a tender hearted son and that was really upsetting to him. And he just felt like the coach was barking at everybody. And my son because was getting he was, really right. Yeah. Well, he was. Yeah. Right. But you know, <laughs> so some of the dads <laughs> were saying, well, that's it. Some of the dads were saying, well, you know, they have to get used to it because it's, you know, that that's just how coaches are going to be. And that's what sports are. And, but you're right. also saying this to a young child, right. Who's feeling all these feelings and doesn't really know what to do with them. And so just telling them this is the way it is. You got to get used to it is not necessarily the most helpful thing. So in that situation, we had a conversation. Yeah. It stinks to be yelled at coach isn't doing it to any of you guys because he doesn't care about you. He thinks this is the way to motivate you. Maybe for some kids it is. And for you, maybe it's not, but instead of wanting to quit because that's where he was at, he just wanted to leave the game and leave the team. Instead of wanting to quit, you don't want to make somebody take something fun away from you that you really love. So take all these feelings that you're feeling right now and turn them into power and strength on the field and think, well, fine, I'm going to show coach. Sure enough, the next thing he gets out there, he grabs the ball and he runs it in for a touchdown. It's not going to happen every time, but it's that idea, right? That nuance. Okay. We don't tell him, oh yeah, go ahead and quit. If you don't like coach yelling at you, that's okay. You can just quit. That's not really the life lesson we want to give, but we also don't want to say, Hey, those feelings you have, eh, shove them down. And this is just how life is. You can say those feelings are uncomfortable. You don't like this. This isn't a way that really works for you, but this is something you want to do and you don't want to quit it just because somebody's acting that way. So here are some things you could do with those feelings instead. Sure enough, he did. And then that's something he can carry forward because like you said, I'm sure he's going to be yelled at by many future coaches. Right. Right. And and I think this is really an important lesson. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the program to talk about it, because um, according to this piece in The New York Times, uh, it it says that parents uh, who monitor their kids every move and and get involved in every step of the way, you know, going to fight with the coach, don't yell at my kid, that type of thing, um, end up creating uh, or uh, contributing to the growing number of depressed teens that we're finding um, and and they're saying this is you know initially blamed on the pandemic, but they're saying moreover it's because of this coddling, and uh, and I think that's it's, it's a key thing, right? One is don't throw them to the sharks and say, hey, swim, <laughs> it's sink or swim, right. and the other one is uh, you know don't go and swim for them either, uh, and you really got to kind of coach them through, and I think a lot of that comes with experience with parenting, but it also comes through you know learning uh, from from others, and I think that's the importance of community and conversations like this. Uh, so let me just remind everybody that um, who we're on with, we're on with Allison Bogle. She is a parenting expert with Austin Family Magazine, and we're talking about the gentle parenting backlash and whether or not we're raising our kids to be helpless. So um, don't wrap your kids in bubble wrap just yet. We're going to continue uh, this conversation and more, and plus your calls, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-MY-LAST-NAME, V-A-L-D-E-S. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and our guest, Allison Bogle. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Allison Bogle. She's with AustinFamily.com, and I want to get to your calls. Let's get number three on hold and put it in the queue so we can go to D in Pittsburgh on KDKA. D, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Okay, sure. Welcome. Hi, is this Rich? Yes, ma'am. Go for it. America's listening. Oh, hi. Uh, I just wanted to uh, tell you that I was listening to what you were saying about how these kids are being coddled, and I noticed something tonight. I was at an orientation. Mm. The local park was doing some hiring for the season, so there was some kids there from about the age of 14 to 17, and the mother came in with the boy, and she kept telling him how much she loved him, and he said, okay, he loved her, and she was getting ready to go out the door, and he said, she said, now, don't forget, call me if you need anything. And he said, okay. So, but, I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I just couldn't, couldn't believe all this. I love you. I love you. I love you. Please call if you need anything. He was just coming in to put an application in. <laughs> and I thought, my goodness, I guess. Because <laughs> I really got a big kick out of how you mentioned about all that marijuana and that. That's unbelievable. You mean to tell me Pennsylvania? Because I'm here uh, near Pittsburgh. Right. And uh, you said Harrisburg has passed a law now that they well, can they're, they're considering this that. at the school? Yeah, yeah isn't that interesting? hear something on them. Oh, that's unbelievable. Yeah, well, thank you, D. I appreciate your input. Uh, and it is it is interesting how we um, are seeing more and more coddling of children. Allison Bogle, what's your reaction uh, to this over-coddling of children? And again, you may not have heard this news that I shared in the first segment right before you joined us, but the state of Pennsylvania uh, is thinking of expanding their existing medical marijuana law to include uh, a, a new regulation within the law that would allow the school nurse to administer medical marijuana to school children and or allow the child's parent to come in to administer medical marijuana to a child that needs medical marijuana in a school setting. Allison Bogle. Yeah, I... I on that one, I feel like I'd have to understand a little bit more to comment because I do know 
um, of a particular family friend whose child has seizures and they've been able to reduce the, the number of seizures with medical marijuana. So I can see in that type of a case where that might be reasonable, but you do have to wonder sometimes when things are, are um, set into place like that, you know, there sure. tend to be people who don't necessarily use it for the reasons that it's, uh, you know, necessary or good. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I had not heard that before and that's, that's extremely interesting and I'd be, I'm curious to follow it and to see where that goes. Yeah, me too. Uh, again, it, this was a, a bill that was uh, a proposed by a Pennsylvania state lawmaker to expand their current law. And I get, you know, I, I guess being a cynic, I, I take it and I run with it and I think, you know, these kid, this kid says, oh, I've got a headache. Oh, I've got anxiety because I have a test coming up. And the next thing you know, you're calling your mom to, to, to bring you your bong so that you can get through the test. And <laughs> right, that's my job to make fun of it here on the radio. But, uh, but you know, you do, you do make a good case. And I have met people, people that had cancer um, and were dealing with it. Um, a very good friend of mine and her, her dad was, um, he was terminally ill. And, and that was the only way he could really manage any of his cancer symptoms. Uh, but again, he wasn't a school kid and I could see school kids right. that have cancer that could also benefit from that. Um, and you know, again, I, I, I see a million different ways of this, but to me, I see an, an open door for everybody to, to just have, you know, classrooms of kids that are just, um, you know, getting high. And, um, and I think things have to be well-intentioned, right? Because when they're not, this is where we get uh, the problems that we have, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with respect to, um, you know, trying to prepare your kid for tough times as opposed to making them go through your own tough times to toughen them up. But if we fast forward on that and uh, and take a look at, you know, the, the setbacks that kids are facing as a result of the pandemic, uh, what's your take on, on that? Because I think lots of parents... I know I certainly have seen it with, uh, my, I know my daughter missed a lot of school uh, and, and everybody else's daughter, I think, missed a lot of school as well as their sons because of what happened with COVID. Um, what's your, your, I guess, your go-to piece of advice on people, uh, to people that are going through that? You mean just in terms of noticing the setbacks in their kids? Yeah, well, I guess, I, I guess I'll rephrase saying, I think we're going to have a generation of kids that will have experienced um, a very different education than anybody else because they lived through a pandemic. I think you're absolutely right. And I, uh, you know, earlier in my career, um, taught in school. And when everything went to Zoom school and, you know, my kids were at home learning and it was very obvious that, you know, despite, I mean, their teachers were amazing and turned themselves inside out to, to educate the kids over, you know, the computer screen. But it was very clear that they were just not learning at the same pace and at the same depth that they were before. Um, and so I did sort of have that thought of, oh, my gosh, how is how are these kids going to get caught back up to where they were um, and then, you know, move forward and and finish in the same sort of place. And the answer really is they just aren't. And I they think don't. it is going to be this. Yeah. I mean, it with the hole was so deep. And so, you know, even if you are teaching quickly to hurry ahead, well, you're not teaching as deep. And so no fault of teachers at all. They've been the, un, well, somewhat unsung heroes, hopefully enough people were singing their praises, but of, of the whole pandemic. And I think it's just, it's the nature of the beast of what the kids who 
were in school during that time have had to experience. On top of that, the isolation, um, you know, so, so many things that they've experienced that generations before have not. And so we're kind of following along and seeing what's going to happen as a result. And I think that whole time was a very stressful, anxiety-provoking one for families everywhere. And maybe even because of that, in response, parents did, you know, have that urge to coddle more, get involved more. They had to be involved more. And and so, you know, all of this becomes enmeshed and people who maybe had a tendency to coddle before have, you know, kept that going. And it's not necessarily the best thing for our kids. Yeah. Now, um, we're going to uh, take a quick pause and uh, also take a call. But I, I want you to just chew on this for a second, because I think a big question is how much helping is too much helping? So let's uh, put that out there into into the world for a moment and give out the phone number 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES. Our guest, Allison Bogle. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Allison Bogle from AustinFamily.com. Let us go to Astrid in Myrtle Beach, WRNN. Welcome. You're on with Allison Bogle and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, Astrid. Yes. Thank you, Rich. Thank you so much for taking my call. And hi, Allison. Um, I, 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 was just, I was just wondering, I mean, you know, what makes somebody uh, a, a parenting expert? My grandmother could be called a parenting expert because she, you know, she gave birth to 12 children and delivered yeah. 12, uh, <laughs> 12 uh, 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 university graduates from, you know, engineers and accountants and, and, and architects and um, that to, that is who to me would be a parenting expert. Um, well, you know, Astrid, I, I think you're right. If I could just chime in, I, you know, I spent a little bit of time working in the government, uh, state government in the state of New Jersey. And I, I can tell you that part of my job there was operating these uh, neighborhood centers called family success centers. And that was a core part of our philosophy was that not the government, not a psychologist, not anybody in particular, but those that are in the neighborhood and run the neighborhood uh, are the real experts on their family situation. And it was very much an exercise in creating a leaderless environment so that people could uh, become very self-reliant and do what they had to do for their families. And one of the uh, key components of making these centers function was oftentimes maybe younger moms connecting with more experienced moms on what or dads 
on on a myriad of topics so that whether it was like, you know, teaching your kid to ride a bike or, you know, learning how to breastfeed or whatever the case was, you weren't going to the system per se or to some practitioner somewhere unless it was necessary, but you were first utilizing your network in your community to build, um, you know, a healthy and stronger community. So I think you're 100% right. And when I was raising my kids, those were the two experts we went to, right? My, uh, my mother-in-law and my mom. And, and they were the ones that, you know, had the most experience who would say, oh, don't do this or don't do that or boil some ginger and put it in some water. And, you know, that'll help with colicky uh, problems or the, in their belly and whatnot. So I think you're 100 percent, Astrid, uh, right on that point. Allison Bogle, what, what say you? Yeah, for me, that, that idea of being called a parenting expert, I think, you know, for for really anybody, right? Anybody who's in the trenches of parenting, we're experts in our own way. Um, and so I just sort of view that for myself as the expert is in quotes. We're all learning and growing through parenting. I think the title has been, you know, assigned to me just because I have a long um, history of doing things in the parenting and education area. So whether that was teaching or writing specifically for a parenting magazine covering lots of different topics, um, going to speaking about that on the news. So I just have some background in studying parenting um, topics and, and speaking to them. But I absolutely agree. I think when I join together with my other mom friends and we talk and we share ideas, there's, you know, there's no one expert in the room more than others. And I think everybody has something of value to bring to the table in those kind of conversations. And then, of course, you know, obviously with a, a grandmother like that, that raised so many children and clearly successfully that, you know, that that is a treasure trove of information right there and a true expert as well. I agree with that, too. Now, Astrid, uh, I want to ask you, being, uh, you know, um, you, you have access to all, all this expertise and you're uh, it sounds like you're a mom. Uh, what what's your take on preparing your kids for the difficult times? Do you create the difficult times for them because life is tough or do you just try to guide them through the tough times? Because I am from Haiti, because their father is Colombian, I did take my children down to orphanages. I exposed them to different things. And we pray over our, our meals every night. And the prayer goes as, dear God, bless the food we're about to receive. Bless the hands that prepared it. And hope I hope everybody in the world has something to eat. So we never forget how blessed we are. And that is something I remind my children of every single day. And, oh, and that's important. Um, now, I what about the adversity? How do, you, how do you prepare them for difficult times? I, I showed them. Uh, they saw the reality in Haiti. Mm. Um, they know they're one step away from that. One step That'll away. That'll do it. I think by the way, right now we're all one step away from that. (laughs) Yeah, that's so so true. In reality, that's how so many of us are, especially in this uh, particular economy that we're in. Different story for a different segment. But thank you, Astrid. I appreciate your call. Um, Allison Bogle, I I think uh, it's uh, important to note what we talked about, that there are so many... um, nuances when it comes to to parenting and and raising children and i guess no one approach is is the best approach i guess because different kids you know different strokes for different folks uh but but ultimately i think that's the key 
is having that um, that ability to go to that group or to that person or um, your wh- whoever your sounding board is and say, you know, here's what I'm thinking. You know, my kid isn't taking life very seriously or my kid's not taking their 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 new job as a teenager very seriously. And uh, I'm afraid they're going to lose that job if they don't tighten it up. Or I'm, I'm afraid that, uh, you know, whatever consequence or, or issue may be happening. And, uh, and I think that's important that you ask other people, how'd you handle it? You know, and what did you do for me? I kind of always look back to what I did as a kid, but I, I oftentimes I realize it's a different world. And what I did as a kid, isn't the same anymore. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that just aren't like they were. All Which right. does make parenting tricky because I think it's, you know, it's kind of that way for every generation of parents. Our kids are experiencing the world differently than we did. And sometimes it feels like, you know, we have to run so hard to keep up and figure out what they're doing, especially for me. Like, how do you parent through these times of social media mm-hmm. and technology? And um, so having different sounding boards to talk things out with is so important. Now, Allison Bogle, um, let everybody know how they could keep up to speed with you and the work that you're doing and how they could follow you. So one of the best things to do is to just easy Google Austin Family Magazine. We're based in Austin um, and great resource, parenting resource, uh, and can connect with different writers um, through that magazine. Uh, And you can also, you know, listeners can subscribe for email updates as well. Outstanding. Allison Bogle, I want to thank you for your um, for your candor and for your wisdom and for being with us tonight. Oh, it was so much fun. It was great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Likewise. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. The rest of your calls and more 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. Let's go to Steve in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Go right ahead quickly. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So I live in Gwinnett County, Atlanta. It's about 20 miles north of Atlanta. What's your comment? um, well, so here we have this um, we have this Phoenix system, and the Phoenix system is it's a separate set of schools that are for kids that just don't quite fit in. They have maybe a mental issue, or they maybe maybe a girl became pregnant or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's, it, and Gwinnett County is the 16th largest economy by GDP in the world, if it were a city. Of course, it's a county, though. It's not a city. But um, great place to live, and um, the the school system is awesome. Uh, All right. I got to cut you off there because we can't talk about Gwinnett schools when we're talking about pot and kids. But thank you, Steve, for your comment. I appreciate it. I want to continue. Let's go to Nate in Williamsport on WWPA. Nate, quickly, very go right ahead. 
It's a pleasure, sir. I listen to you every night. That being oh, thank said, you, sir. Pennsylvania, uh, yeah, no problem. Pennsylvania marijuana law, um, they need to change other things. In Pennsylvania, the only thing that restricts how much marijuana you're allowed to buy is the size of your bank account. Isn't that crazy? There's no limit on the amount of pot you can buy. <laughs> it's every, everything else, you know, it's like uh, there's a, for most things, there's a limit. Uh, but yeah, it's a good point that you raised there. You know, if they're going to regulate everything, might as well regulate. And again, I'm not proposing regulation. I just find it interesting that there is no regulation there on something that uh, has been so once so highly regulated. Uh, thank you, Nate, for calling in. I appreciate it. It's good to hear from you. I hope you'll call in again really soon. Uh, let's go to Gary in Delaware, New Jersey on WOND. Go right ahead. Yes, Rich, I'm glad that you uh, decided to no longer be tough with your kids and just teach them uh, that the outside world is tough. Because, uh, and I and I urge you to keep urging your brother to stop being tough with his kids. That even though kids have to learn about the world being tough, there's they still need affection from the very right. people. Yeah, no, Gary, I think you're raising a good point. It's one that I learned, uh, you know, just through experience in life. And I figured, you know, they get beat up enough in this life. I'm not going to add to it. But uh, it is a tough life out there, and we do have to prepare them. So it's a double-edged sword. Gary, thank you. More to come straight ahead. What's up with the work wife? the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Our telephone number, if you'd like to join our late-night conversation here, it's America's Town Hall Forum, live, national, and late-night. Feel free to do so. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. You can also chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media and a couple of headlines I want to share with you. Interesting stuff that's been going on tonight. Uh, so let's start with uh, this one here. Let's see. Where did it go? So uh, ex-spy chief Morell. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, that's Mike Morell. Uh, he uh, made a sworn testimony, a private testimony to the House Judiciary Committee uh, indicating that Anthony Blinken, who's now Secretary of State, was the senior campaign official who reached out to him uh, just around October 17th of 2020, which was three days after the New York Post had published an email from the laptop suggesting that uh, Hunter Biden had introduced his Ukrainian business partners to his father, who was then vice president in an influence peddling scheme. And uh, subsequently, there was a letter produced by a number of former uh, intelligence officials that signed on to this saying this is nothing more than Russian information. Well, uh, he admits today that 
that's actually um, that's actually not how that went, went down. And so we'll get to that a little bit more at the top of the next hour. Uh, but that's information that came from the ex-spy chief himself uh, today. Uh, then we've got the uh, SpaceX Starship rocket uh, took off today. It exploded just after it took off. Uh, that's an interesting uh, tidbit that we're going to talk about as well. And uh, CBS News has aired a segment on the whistleblower with respect to how the IRS is giving preferential treatment to Hunter Biden. So those are some of the headlines that are uh, coming out of the nation's capital there. And there's also a report in the New York Post. This is an interesting one here. Um, The title, Sorry Boomers, Millennials Call BS on the Work-Wife Excuse. The generation born between 1981 and 1996 apparently disapprove of the typically platonic office relationship dubbed the work-husband or the work-wife. And this is according to a poll conducted by Redfield and Wilton Strategies for Newsweek uh, just about 10 or 12 days ago. So that's interesting. And I wanted to talk about the work wife and the work husband because the question is, should we have a work wife or a work husband? And I don't know the answer to that, uh, but... I have a guest that's going to help us get there. Dr. Shannon Crawford, she's a licensed clinical psychologist, a couples counselor, a conference speaker, and an adjunct professor, and she's our guest. Dr. Shannon Crawford, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's uh, dissect this this survey that's indicating that um, some approve, some disapprove, what say you on the topic of the work wife or the work husband? Yeah, I think it's helpful to just define terms. So I think most people would consider it a platonic relationship that you have great synergy, you can complete each other's sentences, you work well together. So I want to advocate for both sides, that there's a large part of the population that would say that's normal, that's fine, there's levity, there's productivity, there's all kinds of good things that can happen when you have a work spouse. Um, But on the other side, obviously, as a clinical psychologist, at Crawford Clinics, we see a lot of those lines blur, and they can turn into emotional affairs. Very rarely do people wake up in the morning and say, I want to have an affair. It's these gradual slow burns of not being cautious, and those kinds of relationships do tend to make us a little more vulnerable if we're not being mindful. All right, so let's talk about this emotional affair. Uh, How is that defined, and what does that look like? Sure. So an emotional affair is when there's an entanglement of emotions that it's gone beyond just friendship into emotional connection where you're sharing with this person what you're not sharing with your legitimate partner. And so there can be a natural comparison of, well, this person gets me better. They understand me better. And back to the work spouse, it's really common to have that conversation in people's heads, whether they admit it out loud or not, of saying, man, you know, my work spouse just gets me so much better. They complete my sentences. They know how I like my coffee. They know what I want for lunch. But all of those are pretty artificial compared to the real life of coming home. And then accidentally, without even realizing it, we can start devaluing our home spouse because they're not in the everyday epic moments of your work. And so there's these comparisons that start happening, and it's really unfair to the home spouse because emotional affairs 
start with a relationship of the heart that it's we're like giving our heart to someone that it doesn't belong to. And that's really that's really not kind to the person at home. Sure. And I could see how someone could feel slighted by that and, uh, you know, develop feelings of uh, inequity, which could, you know, drive a wedge in a relationship. Now, with respect to this survey, I think it's interesting how um, it it uh, it boils down, right? So 21% that it's okay to have a work spouse, while 45% of them called it inappropriate. And these seem to be divided on g- generations, right? So 57% of millennials yep. polled in the survey, they said, well, you know... Um, it's, it's it's a bad idea, uh, while 18% of them said it was okay. Do, do you think that is um, uh, common with, with many things, or is it just uh, kind of um, germane to this work-spouse topic? I think we're seeing a macro divide between generations where I think the millennials tend to call BS on a lot of things that are social convention. So deconstructing a lot of gender norms and societal convention at work as well as government. And so I think there's a tendency to want authenticity. And if people are saying, oh, it's my work spouse, it's a joke, it's funny, it's easy. But I think a lot of millennials, when I talk to them, their bias is call a spade a spade. You're either in a relationship or you're not. And there's a stronger leaning toward empathy for a lot of millennials. And so that moves the heart direction back to the home spouse that's getting inequity of being unfairly um, compared in a relationship where this work relationship is taking predominance. And then we look at a lot of millennials grew up either themselves or their friends with divorces, and a lot of divorces have happened through affairs at work. So I think there's a different lens that that generation may be looking at. So... What what are some of your um, I guess uh, pieces of advice for people that have these relationships with uh, a work spouse or you know a, a, um, a platonic relationship with a colleague of the opposite sex that they are very collegial with and very friendly with uh, to make sure that they're kind of divorce proofing their marriage? What would you recommend? I love that question. Thank you. Um, So first, I think we don't want to go to the other pendulum where we induce fear and people are uncomfortable at work. What we're Mm -hmm. wanting are just healthy, appropriate safeguards where we're being truly honest with ourselves. Because again, you know, I'm a therapist, right? So we have a whole team of therapists who have to walk with people in the recovery process. And now looking back going, gosh, I, I didn't even recognize the signs. So for a lot of people, it's the, you know, late night work turns into we're staying up late, either working at the office or we're going out to eat. The conversations over text then turn into, you know, other conversations or late night conversations. And so it's starting to go toward emotion rather than work content. And that was not germane to your work and to office politics or allying for each other in a, you know, a promotion or something. Then that really does need to stay outside of a work relationship. Just because quantity and quality of time spent with anybody um, and you have synergy, you're working on a project, there's just a natural bias to have attraction there as opposed to just a buddy you go play basketball with or something. And so we have to have more um, more preventative uh, uh, safeguards. 
And so I would say um, recognizing those late night conversations and meals, um, times where you might be comparing your spouse. And so if you're like, oh, like we referenced earlier, they get me better. Or you go home and you're tired and the person isn't dressed up all cute like that the office the other person is or handsome in whatever case. Um, and you're being told to take out the trash and it's like the kids are crying and it's it's just a different comparison when the other person is fully awake, fully caffeinated in their sweet spot. And you only talk about fun adult things. That's a natural fantasy. And so by recognizing, OK, am I comparing Am I spending too much time even emotionally wondering what they're doing and how would they respond to that? Then you know you're probably giving more heart space than you realize. And then third, I would say look at your calendar very realistically. How much time and energy are you really giving to your home spouse relationship versus the amount of time at work? So the average American, it's 40 to 60 hours a week that they're spending at work. How much of my good energy am I truly giving to invest at home? Because anything neglected, even the best of marriages, can go by the wayside just from pure neglect, even if there is no work spouse. But if you add now a work spouse, the comparison, the home life is just really lackluster if we're not really intentionally investing at home. All right, we're on with Dr. Shannon Crawford. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, a couples counselor, a conference speaker, adjunct professor, and she is our guest. Uh, If you want to chime in on this conversation about the work wife or the work husband, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way. And our guest is Dr. Shannon Crawford. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, a couples counselor, conference speaker, adjunct professor, and she is our guest. Uh, Dr. Crawford, tell us a little bit about, um, with respect to this topic, I know that people that are listening are saying, well, you know, I haven't put much mind into, you know, my husband's uh, work wife or my wife's work husband or whatnot, or we get along really well. They come over to all the family barbecues or whatever and what have you. Um, But for those that don't have that relationship and might be concerned to broach it for thinking that maybe they're overreacting, what are some of your advice, uh, some tips or what advice could you give uh, for people trying to uh, navigate this tricky territory, right, where people might feel territorial or, or one way or another? Are you saying on the spouse who's not the one in the relationship or the one that is yeah, in the relationship? Right. Uh, you know, I guess in, in effect to tell them, uh, hey, I don't like this or, hey, I'd like to meet them to have them over or, you know, to become somewhat more involved, to make it more comfortable. I guess what, what are some strategies to succeed in that area? Absolutely. So it, normally it's always good to lead with the benefit of the doubt. 
So we never try to lead with accusation of something is going on, but just saying, hey, in my gut or intuition, I'm just starting to pick up on something. I have no idea, maybe in left field and the farthest thing from your mind, but may I share some things that I just feel like would be safeguards that maybe could help protect our relationship just in case anything were to ever happen for me or for you, because our relationship is a priority and I really value you and I know how much you value me. So we're already starting on common ground that you're not just saying you are doing this um, or that you're possible, but so am I. Both parties are capable of having an affair, even just at the gym. You know, if somebody stays home and they don't go to a workplace, you can have affairs anywhere. And so creating a common language where where our goal is to protect our love and our connection. I'm not attacking you. I'm not hostile, but I'm also coming with solutions saying, hey, I think it might be helpful for us to share passwords. I think it may be helpful to share calendar invites um, so that you and I know where we're at. And there's just a level of accountability and syncing up text messages. You know, there's things that are just common culture that a lot of couples in premarital counseling are starting that. But older couples tend to bristle a little bit more feeling like it's an invasion of privacy, instead of setting a culture that's so transparent that there is no need for suspicion or accusation. And then if somebody is really defensive about that, then I would ask more questions because there's an old Shakespeare quote, he who protesteth too much, right? There's too much denial, too much covering up. Now you are a little bit more curious and suspicious in that area. Fascinating. And I think you you, you really uh, drilled down there, but I want to unpack that just a little bit because, again, this is, um, I, I don't think, you know, I, I'm not married, I'm divorced, but even if I was, I, I've always uh, appreciated some degree of autonomy, even when I was married, and didn't have anything to hide. But if somebody were to ask, like if my wife were to say, you know, hey, let's, let's share passwords, um, while the way you said it was very eloquent and it might have swayed me, uh, I know she wouldn't have positioned it that way. And I probably would have been like, get out of here. Absolutely not. I'm not going to stop being my own person and doing my own thing just because of your insecurities. How do you recommend somebody get over something like that? Sure. Um, so to clarify, are you saying the person feeling the insecurity? Either way. Or the person not wanting to share the passwords? Either way, I guess the both. Okay. Yeah. Um, so every person is obviously a thousand percent unique and everyone has their backstory and what's going to trigger each person. So there's a level of emotional intelligence of going into the conversation, knowing who you're talking to and how to talk to them. Um, but if it's the person that doesn't want to share passwords, Again, I think that when there's a level playing ground, um, most of the time when I work with couples, the, whoever, in male or female, the one that's coming across, quote unquote, possessive, like share your passwords, you have to do this, put this 360 mm. on your phone, I have to know where you are at all times, that uh, intensity already sets the stage for the conversation not to go well. <laughs> and so the other person Great is going to naturally like hold everything further apart, right? It's a power dynamic where there's a push and a pull. But if the pl the playing field is already level and we can have a conversation that's really healthy and articulate saying, hey, what I value are transparency, connection, um, being able to know that my heart is safe. 
And even if it's not a physical connection, just knowing that you're not giving your heart and emotions and time to too, too much to one person, that helps me feel safe and connected to you, helps me treasure you, respect you, whatever the key words for that person's heart. And so now you're kind of creating a context where you're helping them have buy-in. So the first mm. approach is you're uh, an attack mode versus you're wooing them in saying, hey, right. here's what motivates me to offer you what you're wanting. And That's so I'm offering you a, absolutely, yeah, I'm offering you an olive branch. Um, and this is a way that we can invest in our relationship versus I'm accusing you of something. And that's Excellent. why with a lot of couples, we're engaging them into um, premarital, already starting the culture of openness so that then there, it's not ab- abrupt and accusation based later. Now, Dr. Shannon Crawford, let everybody know how they can follow the work that you're doing and uh, learn more about the work that you do. Absolutely. So we have a group of therapists at Crawford Clinics, crawfordclinics.com. And then you can follow our podcast and YouTube channel. And um, I speak and write. So drshannoncrawford.com. Outstanding. Thank you for being such a great guest. Hope you'll come back again very soon. (laughs) Absolutely. I would love that. All right. Anyway, more to come, folks. Straight ahead is Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And um, looking at a piece in the New York Times just yesterday, why do some people develop allergies in adulthood? I can tell you that as a kid, I didn't have any of these seasonal allergies. And then in my 30s, wow, all of a sudden, I mean, big time allergies. I had to go to an allergist. They had to stick a bunch of needles in my arm. And uh, I think they put 100 needles in me. And the doc was like, yeah, you know, uh, you, you tested positive to 99 of these things and they wanted to make me this special uh, uh, allergy medicine. I was like, why don't I just take Zyrtec? And they're like, well, it may not work for everything. And it was really expensive, compounded thing. And I thought it was a hustle. I didn't sign up for it. But uh, it seems to me this year's allergies have been really beating the tar out of me. And a lot of people that I talk to um, are saying the same thing. And now the New York Post is reporting that too many male trees are making spring allergy season hell in New York City, and they're calling it botanical sexism. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, I want to get to the bottom of it. And with us is Christine Callender. She's a family nurse practitioner and the founder of Pure Health, uh, treating patients of all ages, from newborns to older active adults. And hopefully she can help us understand what is going on with allergy season this year. Christine Callender, welcome. Thanks, Rich. I really appreciate you asking me to come on and talk about allergies with you. It's kind of one of those topics that I think we overlook a lot of the times because it's not a super sexy topic, but it's something that affects a lot of us. Just like you, I suffer from seasonal allergies, and this year has definitely been worse than most. I'm all the way down in Texas, kind of like my company's name says, Pure Health Texas. 
And um, we have just been getting pummeled with allergies, especially from like our oak trees this time of year. I get up in the morning and go to take my kids to school and my car has like a nice green hue across the windshield. Oh, yeah. Um, so it is just a killer this year and it's definitely worse than normal. So what's going on with uh, this year's allergy season, you being a um, provider of health care and, uh, you know, me being just somebody whose nose is incredibly raw from all the sneezing and nose blowing, and I think I'm not alone, um, what are we to do and why is it happening? So I'm not a tree expert, so please don't ask me to explain why the pollen counts are worse this year than normal, but I can kind of help explain what's going on with you physiologically when you're having these type of symptoms. So unfortunately, and we don't know all the reasons why, but as we age, and sometimes it can even start in early childhood, our body views different proteins or antigens. Um, as an invader or something foreign that it needs to attack. So typically we want our body to do this with viruses and bacteria because that's how it, you know, wards off disease and keeps us healthy. But when it does that to benign substances like pollen um, or foods, which technically most of those foods that people develop allergies to are actually healthy foods, whole foods that, you know, we want people eating um, and consuming on a regular basis and people can develop allergies to those as well. So it's our immune system kind of getting hijacked and going a little haywire and creating antibodies inappropriately to a benign substance. So that's kind of what's happening on the inside of us and kind of what's going on. That sounds like a pain in the nose. It it is. And, you know, my nose and your nose alike and probably 90 percent of America, we're all feeling the same way this year because for whatever reason, we're going to let the botanist to handle that answer. But the pollen counts are just off the charts this year. They're, I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. So then a lot of people that might just have mild symptoms because they're not exposed to quite the load before, so their body's only attacking a small amount of this pollen or this antigen, are now attacking a larger amount. So they're having a larger immune response to those pollens. Now, with with that being said, um, are there other environmental uh, triggers or causes like these train derailments that we saw with lots of chemicals that they said this could affect the land and the air. Um, you know, we just saw a team of, of people studying the, um, the health impact in Ohio and they just all became sick uh, while they were studying that. So how much of that has to do with what may be happening regionally? I think it has a lot to do with what's going on with um, allergies and health in general. I mean, America, we're one of the top nations in the country when it comes to um, the lifestyle that we live and kind of how we fall socioeconomically. But when you look at where we fall on a health status, we're actually one of the lowest of the industrialized nations when it comes to a health perspective. So I think there's a lot of things that we're actually kind of doing to ourselves when it comes to and. The, our environment and kind of the factors around us that then go into trigger the, triggering these allergies. So, um, you know, genetics is now a big, huge part of everyday medicine. Um, for each individual person, we call it genomics because it's the teeny tiny little details that are a little bit different between you and I and where my body is going to respond differently than your body to a substance. Um, And so some people are just better at like detoxifying than others. So, 
where my body might be able to hand a, handle a toxic load that's higher or lower than somebody else's, our symptoms, even though we had like consumed the same thing, might be different. So alcohol is an easy one to because most people have consumed alcohol if they're an adult. And so like how I tolerate alcohol and how you tolerate alcohol are totally different. You give me a glass of anything and I'm going to be drunker than a skunk on one drink. And so I just elect not to drink because I don't like that feeling where you have somebody else, my same height, my same weight, they can go drink and their body metabolizes that alcohol differently. And they can have four or five drinks and, you know, maybe not even really feel like they have a buzz. Um, caffeine's another similar thing like that, except we're talking a stimulant this time instead of a sedative where I am a very fast caffeine metabolizer. So I can have a cup of coffee at 3 PM. I am ready for bed at like 9 PM where, um, my mom, for example, is a very slow caffeine metabolizer. So you give her even like a little bit of tea in the afternoon and she's going to be up till midnight, 1 AM. Um, and she's not going to be a happy lady. So even though our overall genetics are very similar, that's my mom, how we metabolize caffeine very differently because of the fact that our genomics or those little tweaks and twists are different. So the same thing applies to how our bodies handle toxins and toxic toxic loads. And a lot of times our bodies are being bombarded with more toxins than we give them credit for. Um, Everything from food being contaminated with pesticides to water having impurities in it and like the fact that most of us aren't necessarily the greatest is disposing with our medications properly. So, you know, that's getting into the groundwater. Um, you know, some people can tolerate chlorine in water that's, and that's one of the main ways that we sanitize local water sources and other people, they have a hard time um, processing that chlorine through their body. And so, different toxins going into our bodies on a daily basis can definitely affect then how our immune system functions. And sometimes it's not for the better in this case, and it's functioning improperly and creating these allergic type symptoms to something that should be benign. All right. Uh, Christine Callender is a family nurse practitioner and the founder of Pure Health Texas. Uh, she takes care of all sorts of different patients, and we're discussing allergies. And you said something that um, was of interest to me. Uh, you talked about the food we eat and pesticides and whatnot, and I think this is a uh, bone of contention for a lot of people because they feel like we don't have the the most adequate supply of food, and, and there's been a number of um, extenuating circumstances uh, like the chickens with the avian flu, and we lost 5 million chickens, and we just lost 18,000 uh uh, had a cattle, and it just it seems to be a lot of impact on our food supply. And I, I'd like your take on on how pesticides fit into that and these other toxins. So stick with us. Folks, we're coming right back with Christine Callender. She's a family nurse practitioner. And your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez. I'm looking at an article here in thehill.com. It says 64 million Americans are facing daily spikes in deadly particle pollution. That's according to a report from the American Lung Association with data from 2019 through 2021. Uh, that found 63.7 million Americans lived in 111 countries across 19 states with failing grades for unhealthy spikes in particulate matter air pollution uh, during that period. So, man, that's not good. We've got dirty air and we've got a food supply that's being affected by pesticides. Christine Callender's a family nurse practitioner. She's with us. What's your take on on both of these things? The um, the lung association saying, "Hey, this is not good." There's a lot of things in the air, and uh, and B, the um, the lack of or the scarcity of clean, safe food. So, Rich, it's really sad that we do have such poor air quality, um, and obviously, there's plenty of people to speak on what we can do to clean up the air. I definitely think that we need to be more active in um, setting standards for what we are like, what we're allowing emission wise into the air. And that's both from, you know, personal emissions from like our vehicles um, to power plants and, and, you know, other industrial type settings. But um, what's really sad is seeing the impact it has on, on kids and even adults. I've seen more asthma and bronchitis this year than I have in ages. And I think a lot of that has to do with the impact that those toxins have on our lungs. And it just emphasizes the fact that, you know, taking care of our bodies and doing what we can on a personal level is so important because we can't necessarily control what everybody around us does. And we can't necessarily control the air quality that we get to breathe on a daily basis, but we can control how we respond to it um, and how we like what we put into our bodies to kind of help combat those things. So, so when you talk um, about that, are you talking about like Zyrtec or um, because I, I'm just associating all of this. I'm thinking we've got more people facing deadly uh, lung disease and whatnot, and we have more people facing allergies. So clearly there's there's something happening. Is the response in in how we manage it with medication? I don't think it goes back to medication, honestly. I think a lot of it goes back to the basics that we're putting in our body, and a lot of it is in our foods. Um, and then also in supplementation, because unfortunately, sometimes we can't get everything that we need from a food source. So obviously, mm-hmm. as a nurse practitioner, when I'm not with you, I can't establish that patient provider relationship. So anything that we're talking about tonight, truly just on an educational basis, because I sure. can't treat you as my patient because we're not face to face. But there's some things that we can do on a daily basis, like taking omega-3 fatty acids or increasing the amount of omega-3 fatty acids in our diet that can be very beneficial to both helping our immune system, helping our body detoxify, helping with those allergy symptoms even, because our bodies function better when they have more antioxidants on board. So, All right. Now, I want to go to a call be, from Bree. Uh, excuse me. Yes. Uh, Bree, she's in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, and she's listening on WNIR out of Ohio. Bree, welcome. Hello. Hi. Uh, nice to be with you. Um, yeah, I, I recently went on a trip to Manila, and I've been there many times, but this this was two or three weeks ago, and my left hand got super puffy, and my left ring finger just, I mean, it was unusable. 
and I, I still can't figure out what caused it. But when I, when I first started having a tingling, I went to the pharmacy and I took an antihistamine and, but it still, still kept going. And, and so I went to see the doctor. So what I'm trying to ask is which antihistamine do you know, like to use and, and how do you trace back what happened? Like, because I think I have, there, there were two or three, uh, items that I thought may have caused it. There was a shower head that didn't work and I was fixing it to try to get it to work. Then that night the, the sheets came off the bed. I was pushing the sheets back into the, you know, between the headboard and the mattress. And I was using, also using their soaps, which I, you know, I'm kind of sensitive to different types of soaps. So how do you trace back what you're allergic to and, and how do you know which antihistamine to take? Thank you, Bree. Christine Callender, go right ahead. So great question there. The, so the first thing I'd say is when it's a localized reaction, we're going to look for a local source versus it being a broad source. So changing soaps is typically something that's going to cause a broad reaction. A lot of people that are sensitive to soaps or fragrances will have dry skin, itchy skin, sometimes even get kind of rough and get a rash. So I think you can kind of eliminate the soap from being the issue if it was just one finger being affected versus, you know, when you're messing with a shower head, did you get a small cut on your finger that actually kind of got slightly infected while you were there? And that was really the source of what was going on and it not be technically an allergy at all. So without being able to, you know, see you and see the finger at the time, it's going to be hard to narrow down what it was. Um, but that's like, you know, as a medical provider, or healthcare provider, that's, you know, one of the first steps that we do is we kind of start narrowing down things based on the story. And so in your situation, I would say if it is an allergy, it was something that you came in contact with on that area of your body versus it being a more widespread exposure, because typically widespread exposures, you're going to have a larger area of reaction. So uh, for example, a finger might swell, like I said, with a small cut that gets slightly infected or with like a bee sting or an insect bite, kind of like a mosquito bite on the hand or a bee sting on the hand that's going to have a really localized reaction where you have the swelling and itching and discomfort that's in a local region right where that invasion or insult happened. So with your story, mm -hmm. I think it was probably more of a localized issue versus being something that's widespread. As far as what antihistamine to choose, honestly, it's really complicated if you're not in the United States and you're traveling because a lot of the medications are different um, in different countries or even have different names. For example, acetaminophen in the United States is what is the generic for Tylenol, where um, overseas a similar product is called paracetamol. So paracetamol isn't something we have in the United States, but most overseas countries don't have acetaminophen. So when you're mm -hmm. traveling, especially, it's one of those things I'd probably take a handful of U.S. medications with you so you know what you're getting and what you're taking uh, versus, you know, trying to get something from a pharmacy in a foreign country where you might not know exactly what you're getting your hands on, unless obviously you're native to that country and you're probably pretty familiar with those medications. All right. Thank and you, Bree. And Christine Callender, uh, before we run out of time on our clock, I want you to let everybody know how they could uh, keep in touch with you and follow the work that you're doing. Well, I do have um, Facebook and Instagram, Pure Health Texas, and Texas is spelled out T-E-X-A-S. That's also my website, purehealthtexas.com. Um, you can email or just check our posts on Instagram and Facebook. We try to put some good content up there that everybody can use. 
Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you for being with us. This is um, a lot of, for me, it was terrific because, uh, like I said, rough year for allergies for me. So mm-hmm. whether that was selfish or not, but I think there's a lot of people out there that can commiserate with their um, yep. raw red noses. <laughs> thank you, Christine yes. Callender, for being with us. Check her out at purehealthtexas.com, purehealthtexas.com. Hopefully you'll be able to come back soon. Thank you. Have a great night. Yeah. You too. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead, plus your calls and more. 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdes with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And a couple of uh, updates here. The criminal charges that were filed against Alec Baldwin in the fatal shooting on the film of Rust have been dropped. Uh, that's uh, some news that came out today. And uh, let's see if I can, if it'll give me the rest of the story here. Alec Baldwin and his legal team, Luke Nikas and Alex Spiro, pleased with the uh, decision and are encouraging a proper investigation into the circumstances of the tragic accident. The Santa Fe's uh, Santa Fe's district attorney uh, declined to comment on the situation. So that's that. And with respect to that. Now, listen, I want to get into a few things. There's been a, there's a lot of news going on. And I know we've been talking about parenting and about allergies and about work wives and work husbands. But you got to take a break from all of that crazy for a while and talk about things that matter. Right. Like the debt ceiling and all that. And not that those things don't matter. All of this stuff matters. And we're going to get into that straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, 833-4-Valdez. Looking forward to your calls on Open Phone America. And that starts right now. Open Phone America. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at the end. You can check me out on social media at Rich Valdez or give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number if you want to join this late-night national town hall forum. Let your voice be heard. Chime in on the national conversation and uh, do your part to add to it. Now, there's uh, several things I want to talk about tonight. Of course, it's Open Phone America. We're going to take your calls on just about everything. So you can um, do what you got to do with respect to doing that. But I have a few things that I've got to talk about, and not the least of which is Attorney General Merrick Garland is the senior 
Biden official in the Hunter Biden IRS whistleblower claim. And he's the unnamed official whose sworn testimony before Congress is being challenged in a bombshell letter from an IRS whistleblower's attorney that also alleges a cover-up in the Hunter Biden criminal investigation. This is something that the New York Post has learned. Uh, Attorney Mark Lytle wrote on Wednesday that longtime IRS employee wants to, the longtime IRS employee wants to provide information to congressional leaders to contradict sworn testimony to Congress by a senior political appointee, Garland, and also to detail uh, the preferential treatment in the criminal probe into the first son, i.e. Hunter Biden. Uh, Hunter Biden. The whistleblower alleg- uh, allegedly made disclosures to the Inspector General of the Treasury and Justice Departments. Now, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked... Uh, about this whistleblower, and uh, she here's what she told Poppy Harlow. Listen to this. An IRS supervisory special agent, our reporting is, is now claiming to have information about alleged mishandling and political interference in, on, in the ongoing criminal probe of Hunter Biden. Uh, is seeking That person is seeking whistleblower protection to share information with Congress, according to this letter obtained by CNN. Our Sarah Murray just gave our viewers that reporting, and I just wonder if the White House has a comment. We're right now, as you know, we've been very clear to not comment on anything uh, related uh, to any type of investigation. So that is something uh, that we have been very, very diligent about and referring any uh, referring that to Department of Justice. So let me just get this straight. Is Karine Jean-Pierre KJP? Is she actually acting like somebody that's been read their rights? Right. It almost sounds like, you know, she's saying, well, you know, I have the right to remain silent. Uh, (laughs) To me, that's what I'm hearing. Again, um, I'm not a huge fan, but this is um, pretty interesting where CNN is now getting comment from the White House. Uh, You know, in most situations, usually CNN just goes, oh, there's nothing happening there. Let's talk about Trump. But in this case, they're actually asking the tough questions because I think they're realizing it's too difficult to cover for this guy, right? Joe El Baboso Biden. He's just too um, too baboso, right? He's too much of a drooling, bumbling, uh, doting old man that, uh, and again, this is not a, a, a slight on his age. Uh, it's more of a descriptor than anything. But uh, he's just too much of, of, of a weakling. And it's not necessarily because of his age. It's necessarily because of his decisions that to to be effective in that position, in my opinion. Uh, now, back to this um, interesting thing on uh, Garland. So the whistleblower, who's already made disclosures to these inspector generals, as I mentioned, um, is, is ready to continue talking and to f- more fully describe the allegations uh, to his own lawyers, and he wants to do this by testifying to lawmakers in Congress. Garland has repeatedly claimed under oath that the Delaware United States Attorney David Weiss, a Trump administration holdover recommended in 2017 by the state's Democrat senators, is able to criminally charge Hunter Biden without the permission of other Justice Department leaders, despite Republicans challenging the factual accuracy of that claim. Now, yeah, whether somebody's allowed to do it and able to do it versus going to do it are two different things. These are very, very distinct situations. So um, 
KJP when she says, uh, we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to refer that to the Department of Justice. To me, sounds like a cop-out. But KJP continued. She went on to say that, uh, look, Joe Biden respects the rule of law. Now, this is the same guy who uh, respected the rule of law so much he went to Ukraine and said, if you don't fire that prosecutor, then guess what? You're not getting the money. Well, son of a... You remember that, right? There you go. Uh, anyway, that's Joe Elba, also Biden. Listen to Karine Jean-Pierre again at the White House press briefing today uh, talking about how much Joe Biden respects the rule of law. And as an IRS special agent wants to protection, talk about an investigation on Hunter Biden's taxes. Uh, what is the White House's message to employees who wonder if there should be political considerations when things uh, affect the president's family? So, look, I want to be very clear here. Uh, as you know, the president uh, respects the rule of law uh, and, and the, the independence of the Department of Justice. Uh, he believes that's what they should be. In this administration, we believe that it should be independent. Uh, so I'm not going to go beyond that. The Department of Justice will certainly deal with this issue. Again, he believes in the rule of law. He believes in the independence of the Justice Department. So there you have it, Corrine Jean-Pierre running as much interference as humanly possible uh, to get away from this huge story, in my opinion. This is a huge story that you've got Merrick Garland being the senior uh, administration official, political appointee, who's actually helping to run this interference, again, as part of a whistleblower blower allegation. And I think that's a, a critically important part of this. This is not some bomb throwing from a um, liberal or conservative member of the United States House of Representatives. This is actually a, a whistleblower from within the IRS making these claims. Um, and this sounds not good. <laughs> very bad, in my opinion. Muy malo. No bueno. Right. Very, very bad. So we're going to see how this continues to, to unfold. Uh, but. It doesn't seem to me that this is going to go well for Garland. Again, that doesn't mean he's going to go to jail. I don't want to cast any aspersions here that I believe that the justice system is is effective in that way. Um, I don't believe that to to be the case when it comes to these politicians doing whatever they feel like doing. Uh, But we shall see. Anyway, your calls and more straight ahead, 8 Three three four Valdez eight three three four eight two five three three seven. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now eight three three four Valdez. That's eight three three four eight two five three three seven. Eight three three four Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Look, demonizing children is wrong. We have to keep them safe as well. Have you ever taught middle school? I have. Have you ever raised young people? Do you understand the risk that young people take just because they're young? Do you know that home plate is at the bottom of my stairs? I found it out when my son was sliding down those stairs trying to score. They're young. Sometimes they make silly decisions. They do. And so we have to make sure that we are investing to make sure that young people know that they are supported. 
Okay, so that's Brandon Johnson, the mayor-elect of Chicago, and he's saying, listen, sometimes kids make silly decisions like home plate being uh, at the bottom of his stairs because, you know, kids will be kids. But, sir, we're talking about teenagers that are ransacking a 7-Eleven, lighting cars on fire and beating people up, ending with a shootout. This is called rioting. This is called thuggery. This is not called silly decisions at home plate at the bottom of the stairs, sir. And for you to suggest anything other than what it actually is, is in my opinion, is an, uh, is an insult to one's intelligence. And it, it's just so incredibly disingenuous to try to pretend that it's something that it's not. Right. I mean, that's just my opinion here. We can't I wouldn't send my kids. I would send my kids into a silly situation where people are, you know, being silly. I wouldn't send my kids into a war zone where there's a riot going on. So shame on Brandon Johnson uh, for even um, suggesting such a thing. I think they're out of their mind. But what are you going to do anyway? Let's hit the phones real quick. Check in with our buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana. KOFI. Frank, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. I I was looking into doing a little research in medical journals about the ingredients of beers in, in uh, the United States and some of the cheaper brands such as Miller Lite, uh, Coors Light, uh, Bud Light. They all have hops, and hops mm. increases the estrogen level in males, gives them man boobs, and actually makes them weaker as a sex. And... Uh, it's it's it. There's a stouter beer that is better for you. I just don't know why uh, we are kind of morphing into a different type of human being with this crap beer. You know, not only does hops uh, do that. I don't know much about hops and its effect on estrogen, but I know that soy is unique in that it contains a high uh, uh, concentration of. Um, of something that causes your estrogen in your body to function in a very different way, kind of like what you're talking about, which would give you a weaker effect. And uh, this is why I don't mess around with soy because I don't need I don't need uh, any any man boobs and uh, or a beer belly, right? <laughs> so I mean, it makes sense to me that these things would happen. And, and this is according to a study uh, from Harvard University called the Straight Talk about Soy. But uh, I could see the similarities between soy and hops, and and it's important I think to note these things. That I agree with you. We're creating a a, a generation of people that, uh, and not because of soy or hops per se. But in general, uh, I think in, in every way possible, in every way that we could figure that out, we're creating this this generation that is just not like generations prior, right? Where, you know, it's okay that we used to be called fat and sloppy, right? Like my body style, that'd be called fat and sloppy. You know, you got a little bit of a gut, a little bit of a chubby guy. Um, that was always called fat and sloppy, out of shape. You know, then they started cleaning it up. They called it husky. Now they call it dad bod, and it's almost celebrated. They're like, yeah, I've got a dad bod. <laughs> Get out of here, bro. This is called I have a I don't go to the gym bod, and I eat things I probably shouldn't eat bod. And uh, I agree with you, Frank. You know, I, I look at my dad. My dad, God rest his soul, 66 years old, still had four out of his six-pack uh, in his abdomen just from doing what he did, just from, you know, the hard work he'd gone through in his life, different generation, 
uh, tougher kind of guy. And, um, you know, uh, in, in life, I aspire to be that way in many ways. I haven't reached that, that, that goal, but uh, I think you're right. We are, we've lost the greatest generation and we seem to be coddling a nation of pansies in more way than one. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, yeah. Frank. You too. You have a good night as well. Thank you for that. Um, let us continue with the calls. Let's go to Brody in Pittsburgh, listening on KDKA. What's up, Brody? You're on with Rich Valdez. How, how you been doing lately? I, I had a call on the Jim Bohannon line. Rest in peace, Jim. You're doing a great job. And Jim, Jim is listening to us right now. Everybody amen is. to that. And amen. And, and, amen to that. And I just want to say a few things real quick, and I'll get into my question. You know, my dad served in the military. He's still alive. His mm-hmm. brother, you know, Lieutenant Colonel, and I, you know, as a civilian now, I work for the Air Force. So anybody out there across the country, we support the troops. God bless you guys. God bless yes. America. And thank you, Brody, for your that. service and that of your father. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for your service every night because you, your show is, like, awesome. It's, like, oh, amazing. You're very kind. Thank I you. really, really enjoy it. I, I just wanted to ask, I really called to, to ask two questions, but I'm just going to get one a little down the one because I really want to converse with you on this. What's the deal with, how do you think this whole thing, I'm always asking you about Donald Trump's a big fan of yours too. Is it kind of like we're going to wait and see whether this is, you know, because Alec Baldwin was, you know, they dropped charges. Like, have you been following this this scam of a, of, of a charges thing? Is it kind of like, it, someone said through the grapevine, maybe it might be a trial, maybe not. Like, is it really wishy-washy because who can we go by? Like, what sources do you get for what's going yeah, on? Yeah, well, I've this, talked this to a bunch of lawyers, and I've yet to find anybody except Alvin Bragg and the people on his team and maybe a few people in the media that are supporting that cause because of probably because of their hatred for Trump that feel that this is a legitimate case. And, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about people that don't like Trump. Right. Like uh, like William Barr, former AG, uh, him and Trump don't get along. And he said this, the, the New York prosecution is, is a, it's a witch hunt in many ways. Um, he didn't say witch hunt, but he said it was a political prosecution that was totally inappropriate or something like that. So um, I think from the, the perspective of differing legal minds, differing opinions of of Trump, everybody has the same opinion. This is a bogus case. Now, does that mean it's not going to work? No, I don't think that's what it means. I think they're going to try their very best to, to tie him up. And one of the first things they've done is they're stretching this out into December. So we won't hear anything else until December when he goes back to court to see whether uh, all of the requests that the legal team is going to make, like the um, request to change the venue, get rid of the judge, this, that, and the other, um, all of these different motions that they're going to make, uh, all of that will be entertained in December as they're gearing up for the primaries. So it's it's unfortunate in the timing for, for Trump. It's super fortuitous and by design for the prosecution, the left and the Democrats, because this is exactly what they want to do, is to hurt his campaign, to hurt his candidacy, and obviously hurt America by not allowing him to have his day of really running fairly, right? He's running with all these obstacles. Uh, so uh, do I think anything happens with this? 
I don't, actually. I think what they're trying to do is exactly what they're doing. They want to say they've indicted him. They want to repeat that over and over uh, to make it look like there's a, a, a pattern here. So, you know, Twice impeached. He's been indicted. Maybe by then they'll have another indictment in Georgia or somewhere else. They're going to try and indict him everywhere they can. Whether or not they can make the case, I think, is a different story. They probably won't make the case. But they're going to try and indict him anyway, just to to continue to throw shade on him, so that people say, you know what, I like Trump, but he's got too much baggage. He's got too many people coming after him. It's not, it's going to be impossible for him to win. So yeah, I might as well go with somebody else. That's exactly what they want. It's like a, a legal battle of attrition. That's what exactly what they're doing, and that's exactly why uh, I'm glad Trump is the way he is. He doubles down. He sticks to his guns, and he says, oh yeah, you want to, you know, it's like Scarface. Yeah, you, you want to play rough? Okay, we'll play rough. Say hello to my little friend, you know, that type of thing. So um, that's my thought on what happens there, Brody. Yes. And and have you met him ever one-on-one? I've talked to Trump on the phone a number of times. I haven't uh, hung out with him. (laughs) Oh, wow. You know what? And I'll tell you what, you just, man, I I know a million things you want to say. Just say Brody in Pittsburgh, just, he just, just a, amazed by him you know and i i hope that he can make it back and save everything you know i know he's a new yorker i'm half a new yorker he's kind of like shoot from that's the the good half in you brody right (laughs) all right big shout out to everybody on kdka in pittsburgh brody thanks for the call we're going to continue with your calls straight ahead don't go anywhere 833-4-VALDEZ 833-482-5337 we're coming right back don't go anywhere and don't move a muscle Extreme MAGA Republicans are trying to sensationalize an issue that doesn't really exist in the way that they are falsely portraying. If this is about elite sports competition, let's allow the relevant organizations involved in elite sports competition to do what they do and to set the framework and the boundaries uh, and the rules of engagement. And you know what? Many of them already have. So that is um, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries saying there is no problem of men taking over women's sports. Uh, Tell that to the United States House of Representatives that passed a bill today called the Save Women's Sports Bill uh, with zero votes from Democrats who call it transgender bullying. But the uh, the bill protects women uh, in women's sports from being overtaken by men who provide uh, an unfair sex based disadvantage, mainly for women, right? Because men, uh, when it comes to athleticism, have a different biological structure, which gives them an advantage. 
And I mean, I don't understand why we even have to make this distinction. To me, it's very, very clear. But this is where we are today. And that was the news that came about um, and the reaction from the Democrats uh, who they'll have it their way. You know, everybody is the same. There is no gender. Everybody is gender fluid. I don't know that we could really get by in life like that, especially if you're going to have male sports and female sports and then all of a sudden put the males in the female sports. It just wouldn't work, right? But uh, let's continue with your phone calls. Let's go to Robert in Charleston on WTMA. Go right ahead. Thank you very much, Rich. I just wanted to say also, uh, with regard to what you were saying before, um, with regard to um, proteins and amino acids and um, mixing them such that you don't suffer from an imbalance, like maybe eating too much tofu and getting too much of the content of, of the soy product. Oh, yes. The, 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 the problem is that you just don't want to overdo it with a certain thing. And, and, and the mix and match is the most important thing, especially if you're going to be a vegetarian, because meat, you don't have that same kind of a problem, or fish and that kind of and mixing those kinds of things, because their amino mm-hmm. acid ratios are much, much closer to ours. But the vegetable that has that's the closest amino acid ratio to ourselves is mushrooms. But of course, you can't live on just mushrooms because they're still very distantly, the plants are more distantly related to us than, than the meats are. And therefore, you have to mix and match them. But if you do that, that's really the best way to go um, be- because of the fact that, uh, as I mentioned earlier on one of my other previous phone calls, is that if you eat just meat or a lot of meat all the time, you're going to suffer from acidosis. And most Americans actually are suffering, but they don't even realize it. In Europe, they do realize it. They realized that about 25 years ago. And today, if you walk into a when I left Germany 18 years ago, if yeah. you walked into a pharmacy in Germany, they're stacked full with something called basica in order to balance your pH. That's one of the things that, that's very important. In Germany, it's, it's your, your performance that counts, not how long you can sit at your desk before your head collapses onto the bladder. That's not how that uh-huh. works in Germany. They don't, care if you, they don't care if you sit on a beach in the Azores with your, with your laptop and operate a chemical plant. They don't, that's fine. As long as the chemicals get in the right places at the right time and the, and the finished product is world class, they don't care how you do it as long as you do it. And, and and that's the difference. And 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 there are a lot of there are a lot of other things, you know, it's that you have to consider. Let me ask you this. People shouldn't what what is your opinion, whether here or in Germany, of women um being pushed out of, you know, their sports by men who identify as women? Um, if it were me and I were a woman, I would take on the challenge. I'd say, any guy who wants to try to beat me, try it, Buster Brown. I'll beat you off the track. Beat you off the track, and little by little, every day and night. I mean, the do sets and sets and sets and more sets and sets and sets and sets and more sets, and taking the vi- proper vitamins and minerals, and making sure I get the right proteins. And, and I, I would beat them 100%. Ganz klar, as they say in German. All right, thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. Um, that is. Uh... An interesting take, although just as we've seen with swimming and other competitions, it just sometimes isn't possible because they just uh, don't have the physiological superiority that, that their um, biological male counterparts have. And uh, that's where I think it becomes a very unfair. But thank you. And yeah, you got to give it the old college try and, and, and stand up to the bullies. I agree. Anyway, let us uh, continue with... Uh, this this story on the um, saving women's sports. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it, with the passage of the bill, the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act passed in a 219 to 203 vote. This happened uh, earlier today on Thursday. 
All the yes votes came from Republicans and all the no votes came from Democrats. Now, people say we live in a polarized society. This is why. Right. I mean, anybody in their right mind should have voted for this. Uh, If you if you were not in your right mind and you decided to take exception to this. All right. Let's say you got one or two people that say, no, no, no. We should have biological males in women's sports. And, And they feel that that's right and appropriate and good. How is that still the entire Democratic caucus in the United States House of Representatives? It's not. This is clearly a partisan issue. And they've politicized it in a partisan manner. And it's wrong. But yet they're the first ones to point the fingers at us, right? Saying, no, it's you guys, conservatives. It's you guys, patriots. It's you guys, Republicans. It's you guys that are bad. It's you guys, the biological males that, you know, are, are, what do they call Cisgender, (laughs) right? And it's just fascinating to me that, that we even have these conversations today. Anyway. Um, more from you guys straight ahead. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Breaking it down. It's America Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We're in a moment of both profound challenge and historic opportunity for U.S. transportation. On one hand, our transportation systems are still grappling with the consequences of the pandemic, climate change, and decades of disinvestment. Industries have become more concentrated, often slashing staff and leaving the system less competitive. And when something goes wrong, Americans bear the burden, from millions of airline passengers stranded during the holidays to the residents of East Palestine, Ohio, after the Norfolk Southern train derailment there. So that is Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. Now, Mayor Pete, he's former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Every time I find it remarkable, and maybe it's me, it could just be my own bias towards some of these issues. But how is it that you get a guy, a cabinet secretary, who every time he's on the record making a comment, it's always about some woke agenda, right? He says that transportation is being deeply affected by the pandemic. And, and he goes on to talk about climate change. And at what point do we say this is just infrastructure and a lack of leadership, a a lack of direction at the federal level or whatever level, um, and, and just taking the onus and saying, we need to do better. I mean, not even Eric Adams in New York City tries this stuff, right? Imagine Eric Adams saying, we're fighting crime because we're fighting crime because of climate change, right? He would never say such a thing. 
because he would be laughed out of the city and realizing this, this is a result of his politics, his pro-crime progressive policies, not because of climate change, right? I mean, I don't even see how one, you know, and, and, and the other can even be uh, combined, but that's lamentably the case. Anyway, what are we going to do? Let us hit the phones. Let's go to Dan in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Busy night in KDKA. Welcome, Dan. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, I couldn't help overhearing your conversation about these transgender people in sports. Well, the Chinese have a unique solution to these transgender people. Over in China, if you want a sex change, they don't give you a sex change. They give you a full frontal lobotomy. The real problem with these people is not between their legs. It's between their ears. The only cure for them is a lobotomy. After the lobotomy, they won't even think about wanting a sex change. Wow, I don't know if that's uh, ever going to happen in the United States. I don't even know if I could recommend that. Uh, but it's an interesting take. I mean, China's response to overpopulation, in their opinion, was to ration how many kids you could have and 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 abort uh, the girls so that they they couldn't make more. I mean, it was just really a, a bad situation. So I, I would never look to China for an example of policy. And I, I know that you're doing that tongue in cheek, but a dangerous situation uh, it is to uh, to to. To, to engage in, in anything like that with China. Uh, but thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. That's a, a, an interesting point and a, and a tough one, honestly, for, for us to, to grapple with, where we, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to be giving out lobotomies across the board, right? So we have to figure out how to coexist in, in many ways. Anyway, uh, we will continue with uh, this conversation and your calls and more uh, momentarily, let me give you the phone number, 833-482-5337. I also want to uh, bring to your attention, there was this other story. Where did it go? Where did it go? Oh, yes. I want to let you know how one representative from Connecticut, uh, when we come back, she talked about how female crash test dummies are going to fight gender inequality. Yep, I could barely mouth those words, but this is actually what she said uh, at a hearing today, and I found that to be quite remarkable, quite funny. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. Uh, Don't move a muscle. And by the way, if you have a comment, you can make that comment on the social media platforms, anyone that you like, at Rich Valdez with an S. And I just want to remind you, if you missed any portion of our conversations tonight, and again, we talked about a number of things tonight, allergies and parenting and things that were a little bit off the beaten path, but I thought were important topics, uh, check out the podcast of this program. You can go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Dot com is the website, and you can uh, listen live, you can listen to archived episodes, and you could just um, sign up for the podcast through your podcast provider as well. All of it is free, and it's all available on demand. I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. You also plan to make important investments to uh, address the roadway safety crisis, including the critical funding that would accelerate the development. And this is an area I've, I've written to you about of the use of female uh, dummies in crash testing. This will start to fight the gender inequity among vehicle safety and crash victims. Yes, you heard it right. That was Representative, um, let's see her name here, Rosa DeLauro. And she's talking about how Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg wants to spend $20 million on female crash test dummies. Now, I would never, I mean, I guess if gun to my head, I would have said, yeah, I guess the crash test dummies are men. However, they've never struck me as men. They struck me as dummies in the place of humans, right? And, and, and the fact that we want to give gender to the dummies, but we don't want to give gender to the humans that in some cases are acting like dummies boggles the mind. But this is exactly what's happening. Now, forget about inflation, the debt ceiling crisis, this is what Transportation Pete, uh, Secretary Pete wants to do, is get $20 million from Congress so that they can develop female crash test dummies. Specifically, dummies representing uh, small-sized adult females, according to the Department of Transportation's pitch for its cutting-edge uh, safety and accessibility research initiatives. Fascinating. Fascinating, this whole thing. Uh, the, the project already has some support in Congress. Buttigieg appeared before a, a House Appropriations Subcommittee earlier today to discuss his budget and uh, what he was asking. Representative Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut uh, commended him for including the critical funding that would accelerate the development of the uh, new female crash test dummies. And you heard the clip from her. This to me is uh, this is is a very interesting, right? That this is where we are. We're at a place where we are looking for female crash test dummies, and we have a Supreme Court justice that can't even acknowledge what a woman is. Fascinating. This is the result of the media, right? A media that's been complicit in spreading so many uh, tidbits uh, of of falsity, right? Of, of just fake news, fake phony fraud. And that's why today, and I, and I say this with, with all disdain and disrespect, <laughs> uh, take care Buzzfeed news, right? Bye bye to Buzzfeed. Uh, NBC news is reporting that Buzzfeed news is shutting down. There will no longer have a news service. And the move came in as the, the parent company, Buzzfeed Inc., is trying to cut costs. So they're done. Now, I say that the way I said it because they were responsible for the famous BuzzFeed article, right, with uh, Russiagate and Crossfire Hurricane and, and so much of that that the media used and sourced to, uh, to make it seem like it was a real legitimate thing when it wasn't a real legitimate thing. They actually did that. And now they've had to shutter. So to them, I say, 
hasta la vista. Now, who knows if they're going to cash out some more money and get in with somebody else who's opening a new organization. Could be. I doubt they're going to go away forever. But BuzzFeed News is no more. Senator John Fetterman is promoting the legalization of marijuana earlier in the uh, in the. I think it might have been the bottom half of the first hour or the top of the second hour. We talked about how Pennsylvania has a proposal from a state representative where they're looking to allow marijuana in schools for kids that claim to need it. So that's interesting. And of course, uh, that was our marijuana story because today was 420. So I just think lots of crazy things. By the way, there was a story here that I'm trying to find, which is why I'm recapping what we talked about. Oh, I'm not going to find it. But anyway, $100 million worth of gold disappeared. Yep, $100 million worth of gold. Fascinating. And uh, where do you think it went? I don't even know the answer. I'm trying to pull up the article uh, to give it to you because I was looking at it and I thought, my goodness, I haven't heard of a big gold heist in a long time. So we might have to carry this one over till tomorrow. But just to give you a... Uh, uh, an idea. This is, uh, it, this happened in Toronto. According to the Toronto Sun, organized crime gangs are suspected of stealing 3,600 pounds of gold worth $105 million from airline cargo earlier this week. Wow. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that and a whole lot more. That $100 million worth of gold is no laughing matter. I wonder where they put that. Anyway, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. Looking forward to doing this with you again tomorrow. Until then, keep it locked right here on this station because there's plenty more programming to come. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.